0: Today we come to the conclusion of our series that we've been going through about the Apostles Creed, and we're going to wrap up today by looking at the affirmation that I believe in the communion of the saints. It says in Hebrews 12:1: since we therefore are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The Apostles' Creed says, I believe in the communion of the saints. And because these words come near the end of the creed, We may tend to kind of overlook them and not really consider them, but we should not do that because they teach us something important about the Christian church. Earlier in our study of the Apostles' Creed, when we considered the Holy Catholic Church, I emphasized that the church is not a building or a denomination. The church is the people. We also observe that the church is both local and universal. We meet today as a local church, a particular congregation that meets at 201 Vicaro Guerrero in San Philip, Texas, every Sunday morning. You can find churches more or less like us in every nation of the world. There's also a sense in which The church refers to all true believers scattered everywhere in every nation. In studying uh, for this sermon, I was uh, interested to discover that the phrase, the communion of saints, was a late addition to the Apostles' Creed. It was added several centuries after the Holy Catholic Church was added. It's worth pondering exactly why this phrase was supposed to, or or what, I might say, what this phrase was supposed to add that wasn't already covered. And one person put it this way, the Holy Catholic Church teaches us that the church spans the globe. The communion of saints teaches us that the church transcends time. So what exactly does this phrase communion of saints mean? The word communion translates from the Greek word koinonia. And that's a very common word in the New Testament. And it means fellowship or partnership. It means a uh, sharing together in a close relationship. In secular Greek, it was used for a marriage, a business partnership, a community, or a nation bound together by common goals. Preeminently, the word applies to friendship, deep friendship, and fellowship. Acts 2.42 uses the word to describe the intimate closeness of the early Christians who lived together took their meals together, and shared all things in common. The word saint simply means holy one. In the New Testament, the word saint is a synonym for Christian or believer. The Apostle Paul used the word saint in several of his letters to describe ordinary believers. He wrote to the saints in Rome and to the saints in Corinth to the saints in Ephesus, and to the saints in Philippi. To many of us, a saint refers to some sort of an extraordinary Christian, or one who's actually been canonized by the Church of Rome. But the New Testament never uses the word that way. It always applies to all believers. To say that we believe in the communion of saints, then, means that we believe there exists an intimate connection between all the true believers and Jesus. We can say it this way. Everyone who belongs to Jesus belongs to me and I belong to them. Our fellowship ought to be as wide as the whole body of Christ. It's been my joy through the years to see uh, my horizons as far as what the church is uh, really expanded. Uh, I've discovered to my delight that God has his people scattered in some very unusual places, and we come across them in different places and places that might even surprise us. And I have learned that there are many different ways to worship God in spirit and in truth. I grew up in a very traditional United Methodist Church, very similar to this one as far as the way the worship services go. And uh, whenever I met the Lord, I was open to whatever God had. If it was of God, I wanted it. If it was not, I did not. And so the Lord, in his sense of humor uh, and his wisdom, sent me to my first church while I was in seminary. And it was a spirit-filled, charismatic community of believers that exercised the spiritual gifts. I remember one of the first mornings I was there, they had a guest preacher there. And a lady came down front for prayer, and he put his hand on her, and she fell out on the floor. I'd never seen anything like that before in my life. I thought Miss Gatewood had died, and nobody paid any attention to her. They just walked over and kept on doing their thing. And after a while, I'd learned not to just react, but to wait and see what was going to happen. And she got up, and she was just fine and she was just praising God and she went back to her seat and I saw things happen in that church that I had been told I'd never seen them happen but I've been told that uh, you just don't do those things and yet those people did them and those people were blessed and uh, they were just great great witnesses to Jesus Christ in so many many ways Well, I have uh, uh, served, when I've not served, I have worshiped in uh, house churches in Mexico City, where the homes were so dilapidated that part of the the roof was gone, and yet people were still living there. And in their poverty, the people there were sharing with each other joyfully. I have preached to large gatherings of, uh, of uh, m- uh, people in Mexico City, in areas where the drug trade is just uh, going like crazy. I have uh, uh, worshiped in London, in Oxford, and in Rome within the eyeshot of the Colosseum where people died for their faith. I've worshiped and preached in African American churches which were very different and uh, challenged me in different ways uh, and helped show me ways in which I was challenged. I'll, I'll put it that way. Uh, but uh, I have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world, and uh, the Lord has shown me that there's not limits. The limits that we place on the communion of saints, the fellowship of believers, is way too stringent. Romans 1.16 is very helpful in this regard because one thing comes clear to us as we see all those who love the Lord in all the different places, and that is the gospel is for everyone. It's for everyone. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, For it is the power of God for salvation, listen to this, to everyone, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The last phrase introduces the universal dimension of the gospel. The Jews were God's chosen people. And although most of the Jews haven't become followers of Christ, The gospel still has the power to save them if they will only believe. The Greeks were the Gentiles, that is, all the non-Jews. No wonder Paul was not ashamed. The gospel has the power to save people without regard to the distinctions that are dividing us so much in our country even today. It has the power to save without regard to race, to education, to station in life, to age, to income, to skin color, family background, religious preference, moral degradation even. I can remember in that first church that I was serving, we had uh, uh, some people come and uh, join with our young people in going out and witnessing. And they came from uh, a nearby uh, uh, place that I'm trying to remember the name of it as we're talking now, uh, but uh, I'm sorry, Twin Oaks. Twin Oaks Academy. It was like a finishing school for people, people who had come off the street, come to know Jesus and were called into ministry. One of those young men was uh, staying with us that weekend And uh, as he was sitting at the breakfast table with my little girl uh, on his knee, I said, well, Ed, what brings you to Twin Oaks Academy? And he said, well, uh, Brother Joel, it all began while I was serving a life sentence without parole for first degree murder. My little girl sitting on this guy's knee, I just wanted to go, (laughs) you know, just... uh, (laughs) get her off of there, you know. But he just had such a, a loving and godly countenance. And I said, well, how in the world did you come to be here? And he began to share how he had been a horrible person. He had met the Lord in prison. And then after he came to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior and was endeavoring to serve him, the Lord just began to open doors that set him free and he is now a minister of the gospel of our lord and savior jesus christ well i just checked up on him just a few days ago and that's been 40 years ago and he's still moving on with the lord it wasn't a flash in the pan it took well uh, the gospel of jesus has the power to build a bridge over the chasm of race education, all these different things that we said, all these things that divide the human race. The gospel brings us together. Sometimes, sad to say, we're tempted to soften the gospel in order to broaden our fellowship. But the reverse is closer to the truth. When we are firm on the gospel, we can have joyful fellowship with God's people from many, many divergent backgrounds. I want to go over three very important aspects of the communion of saints this morning. First of all, we all have communion with Christ. We see this clearly in 1 John 1.14. That which was from the beginning Now, you know here, John is talking about Jesus. He They had seen, says, we have seen this. We have touched this. Whenever we look at the epistles of John, we're reading eyewitness accounts. We're not reading made up stories. We're reading eyewitness accounts about Jesus. He goes on and says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Everything we do is based on this truth. We have fellowship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And only in Christ... Do we have fellowship, true fellowship with one another? If you skip this or you minimize it or you gloss over it, then we're nothing more than a social club uh, or uh, a service organization like the Rotary or Lions or Kiwanis and nothing wrong with service clubs. Don't get me wrong. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that our distinction is that we have fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. We are the supernatural society of God's redeemed people. That's what we have in common. The church is a fellowship of men and women who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of the Lord's Supper. We call it communion because it represents our fellowship with Christ through his broken body and his shed blood. As we receive the elements, we enter into a personal communion with our Lord, and we share that communion with other believers in Christ. Next, we have communion with the saints on earth. Back to 1 John for a moment. In verse 7, he adds an important dimension of what he's already said. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son purifies us from all sin. I take it that the one another there refers both to God and to believers. Walking in the light allows us to fellowship with God and with other believers, because God is light, and we are children of light. When we walk in the light, we are where God is and where his children are. We're no longer alone in the darkness of sin and rebellion. Once we begin to grasp this, all our relationships will be radically changed. Lastly, we have communion with the saints in heaven. Hebrews 12.1 Speaks of this when we say that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. You can just picture a huge stadium just filled with people, and we are down on the playing field, and they are up in the stands, and they watch lovingly, and they watch with great concern. As you look around, if you could just look around in that stadium, you'd see. Peter, Paul, John, Mark wouldn't be far off. You continue to look around and you would see your loved ones who died in Christ. And they're up there looking down saying, you can do it. Trust in Jesus. Keep on believing. And uh, when you feel like quitting, you may even hear him call out to you. Don't give up now. You're not far from the finish line. Can the saints in heaven really see us here on earth? According to Hebrews 12, 1, I think we have to say they do. And they're concerned about us. That image is part of the communion of saints. When I was a child, I pictured heaven as somewhere beyond the farthest galaxy. A wonderful land so far away that I'd need a rocket ship going at light speed. To get there, but Hebrews twelve twenty two through twenty four gives us a different picture. The verse tells us something amazing about what the gospel has done for us. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. And here's that phrase again. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Three times he uses that phrase, You have come. That means you have drawn near. It's close by. And what you hear being said here is we're not that far from heaven. We're not that far from the angels. We're not that far from our loved ones in heaven. We're not that far from God. We're not that far from Jesus himself. Heaven's a real place. It's where Jesus is right now, and it's not far from us at all. Between us and heaven, there is a veil called death. And to us, that veil seems dark and forbidding. But for Christ, that veil has become a portal to eternal reality. Perhaps we should think of all the eternal realities as simply being in a different dimension of reality, not visible to us in this life, but near to us and around us all the time, like the angels surrounding the armies of Israel that Elisha uh, showed to his servant in uh, 2 Kings, the sixth chapter. The angels were there all the time, but the servant couldn't see them until his eyes had been opened. Several of our hymns speak about this aspect of the communion of saints. The last verse of the church's one foundation mentions it quite clearly. Yet she on earth hath union with God, the three in one, and mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. O happy ones and holy, Lord, give us grace that we like them the meek and lowly on high may dwell with thee and that great hymn for all the saints contains a verse that speaks of this truth and when the strife is fierce the warfare long steals on the ear the distant triumph song and hearts are brave again and arms are strong alleluia Hallelujah! What does this mean? It means that death cannot destroy our fellowship with the saints of God. We are one with them and they are one with us. We affirm that the saints of God are alive in heaven while we are alive on earth. And they are not that far from us at all. One day we'll be reunited with them. They are gone from our sight, but they're not gone from God. And they aren't really gone from us either. As we praise God this morning on earth, they join us in praising God in heaven. That's the mystic sweet communion that the hymn writers have in mind. One other verse from all the saints that brings all the strands of truth together. Oh, blessed communion, fellowship divine we feebly struggle, they in glory shine. All are one in thee, for all are thine. Alleluia, alleluia. In 1981, when President Reagan was nearly assassinated, his pastor from California came to see him in the hospital in Washington, D.C. Pastor Don Mumaw took the president's hand and he asked him, How is it with you and the Lord? Everything is fine with me and the Lord. The president replied with no hesitation. And his pastor said, How do you know? And the answer was simple and profound. He says, I have a Savior. That's the difference that Jesus Christ makes. When you have a Savior, You can face your own death with courage and with grace. So I ask you this morning, do you have a Savior? If you don't or if you aren't sure, I urge you to place your life in the hands of Jesus Christ right now. Run to the cross. Lay hold of Jesus Christ. Trust Him as Lord and Savior. Ask him to take away your sins and give you new life. Come to Christ now and your life will never be the same again. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.